Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured a Premier League match at London Stadium against West Ham. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. You watch this one live, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Starting, I, I wouldn't quite say I'm making a habit of it, but it's uh, it's happening more often. Um, I managed to gain access to the NBC Sports app, and uh, yeah, it was <laughs> it was, uh, it was a different one. Um, what what I will say, one thing I don't want to forget to mention to our listeners now that I have seen this, if you are someone who watches replays like I do on occasion, so that was one thing I noticed is, hey, for these matches that are playing on the USA Network, my only option before gaining access to NBC Sports was to watch the match 24 hours after its conclusion or opening, I forget how it works, but one way or the other, around 24 to 25 hours after the match begins, um... On peak on Peacock, right? Well, now having NBC Sports, I can watch it live. I was curious, what if I can't quite watch it live, but I want to watch it later that evening because I have something going on earlier in the day? Yes, it does also have replays that you can watch intraday. However, this is what I will caution you. When I was exploring that possibility, I saw that they had listed the Man City game from earlier of the day. I was I was trying this out on Saturday for, for the Sunday match. And I noticed that underneath the title of that match, Man City versus Leicester, I think they'd played. Um, it had a link underneath that to extended highlights. And in the heading of the highlights, it said Manchester City versus Leicester 4-1 or 3-1, whatever the score was, right? So... I imagine it would be similar if you were looking for an Arsenal replay. You may have the score spoiled before you even open up the replay. That would be no bueno. So, yeah. Again, again, this is the this is definitely I think the part of part of you just get getting into sports is especially at this day and age like score because scores are so accessible. I think I've I think I've told my World Cup story about 2002 how I was basically able to avoid the result of a game. For basically the entire day, because you know that was just that was just how you did it. You didn't. I didn't log on to the internet, and it was fine. Uh, nowadays, that would just be impossible. And you know, so I, they sort of go in with the presumption that you already know the score. You're 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 the weirdo in this one, <laughs> <laughs> but and it just, uh, just, just but it it does make the the I don't know. I think there's something more fun about watching it live. Uh, I don't know. I I don't. I generally don't rewatch games. I'll see the score. I might check out the highlights. But again, I've been doing this for a while, so I've just developed my mm. own patterns and what have you. Oh, sure. I mean, what I would say, though, I guess, as my point of contrast is when we were briefly in competing in the FA Cup and I used ESPN Plus for a little while, the ESPN app has it does not have many preferences. I think, as far as I know, the app has exactly one preference, and that one preference allows you to turn off scores. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I, I I readily believe I'm in the minority, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> I think some of that may come from people who are watching, who are coming in after it starts, and generally don't want to be updated. Like, don't want to because they will give you the option to watch the game, either watch it live, as in mm -hmm. join it in the in progress, or you know you can start at the beginning, and some people will fast forward through commercials mm -hmm. and try to catch up and. Then they don't. They don't want to. They don't want to log in and see. Oh, it's the middle of the second quarter and it's fourteen nothing. They want to watch to get to that point. And so, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's it is really hard to avoid scores like that post game. Uh, but then again, that's again most sports fans are looking to keep track of that. But there are still a few people who are old enough to remember the games of taping days of taping games and the, and that sort of thing. Right. Well, I mean, that, that was a subplot point, a very minor one. In Air Force One, I remember that the, the president hadn't seen some baseball game or something yet. And he kept on, like, shushing, like, anyone started talking about it. And then finally someone just blurts out, like, you know, oh, did you see how they won or whatever, something like that. But, yeah, <laughs> it happens. So um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about from uh, from last week a little bit. So we did not get a chance to discuss a couple things that you had stuck in our show notes that, that we review, but it didn't make it into the episode. So I didn't put it into the show notes that go out with the episode for listeners. But th these are a couple interesting things to at least point out. Uh, if someone's interested, they can follow the links in this week's show notes. Um, first, uh, do you want to talk about the elbow? Ah <laughs> uh, yes, the elbow. I, so 
I, I had things to say about the officiating last game. I stand by them for the most part. Um, I, I, but but it, I did say this as well. That I thought the officiating was it's certainly not the reason Arsenal lost. I have my complaints, but certainly I thought Liverpool had some complaints. Probably the most interesting complaint they had was an incident that took place right uh, at halftime where uh, the linesman, um, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but a linesman, uh, Konstantin Hatsidakis, appeared to elbow on Liverpool's Andy Roberts Robertson um and uh certainly got uh certainly got people pretty pretty amped up Liverpool players in particular uh also involved in the the British television halftime analysis uh Roy Keane who's a a former player at Manchester United uh, referred to Robertson as a big baby several times on air, which makes for a very <laughs> funny audio clip. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that was investigated and it, it came out after a couple of days investigation that it was uh, just it, there was nothing in it. Uh, Hatsidakis did apologize to Robertson and the FA has said he's uh, free to free to officiate matches uh, this weekend. So. In the end, I guess nothing quite came of that. Yeah. All right. And the other thing that we didn't get to talk about is, as listeners may recall, uh, toward the very end, like in stoppage time after the second half of a Liverpool match, Ramsdale saved our bacon big time. He had a couple really key saves that kept us from losing the match. And uh, you shared with us a link to The Athletic breaking down exactly how amazing those saves were and the specific techniques that he employed to make those saves. So that is a very worthwhile uh, read to anyone who's interested in goalkeeping like you know I am. So thank you for sharing that. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Also, I... As a Harry Potter fan, I was curious to track down what you had talked about uh, with the West Ham connection. Um, I did look it up, and I had I had vaguely recalled it when you were talking about it. But yeah, it was Dean Thomas, who is of mixed blood. Um, he has a muggle parent and a wizard parent. And yeah, so he, he is a West Ham supporter. And I guess in various um, visual depictions of Harry Potter, I saw like video games and I think maybe in a movie or something like in a remove scene or something, there is some West Ham poster or something you can see in, <laughs> in his room at Gryffindor tower. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was interesting. Um, something that came up for me, uh, we had our first uh, soccer practice for my son's U six division this past weekend. And we were talking, I was talking with my assistant coach, uh, who, who's a friend of mine from past sports seasons. Our kids are in kindergarten together and have been playing sports together and stuff. Um, he was talking to me about his older son and I'd said something about punting how, you know, well, you know, it was a goal kick. We can just let them punt it or whatever. And he's like, no, no, you know, actually they don't even allow punting. I think he was saying his older son is in the U10 division. So that's like 10 and under is, is what that means. Um, they don't allow them to punt the ball. And that was interesting. He he was saying it's uh, it's out of a concussion concern because that's something mm. that I have been aware of. They do have limits on how many um, headings, like how many headers you can uh, perform over such and such a period. And it's very tightly controlled. And definitely at U10, there are no headers allowed. And by the time they're 16 years old or something like actually pretty high in age like that, they start letting them head the ball. Um but yeah, apparently it's just the fear that the ball being way up in the air promotes heading, which they're not allowed to do. So why let them punt in the first place, which kind of stinks that you'd think that they'd want to be developing the skills of the keeper being able to punt it from a younger age. But I guess it's not the most refined of skills, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I knew I know about the header rule. I, I can't say I knew about the punting, but it, at once you said it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's about putting the ball in the air right. or rather not putting the ball in the air as, as the case may be. Um, I mean, on the one hand, yes, I can get the idea of developing skills. On the other hand, it is one of those skills that is both not terribly complicated and also mm -hmm. can be very complicated for a six-year-old's level of coordination. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it's a skill that it, it, it so and again, only one player on the on the field actually uses it. So it's not something that everyone needs to be able to do. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so let's let's talk about uh, this weekend's match. <laughs> this was our thirty-first Premier League match. We are uh, winding down toward the end. We're mid-April now, 
And this is our second week running of drawing two two. Uh, it it was really really painful. Uh, it, it again like with Liverpool, almost the entire second half, just wondering what the heck is happening and how. So yeah, um, the the first half was pretty fun though, or at least the first half of the first half. We don't have quarters in soccer, but if if there were a first quarter, <laughs> the first quarter was pretty good for us (laughs) yeah um we were uh there were a lot of jokes about uh closing the gap uh the goal difference gap on city uh even after their their big performance uh we looked we looked like we looked at a video game frankly the first 10 minutes those two goals we looked like we were toying with Mm -hmm. them it was it was just it was just delightful um you know so many yeah, I mean, it really just incredible how quickly that all went off just in the 10 minutes, able to to tuck in two yeah. goals. And it really, in a lot of ways, it felt like they were sort of taking the sting out of the game after the previous week, um, where again, we had gone right. up 2-0. But, and, and, you know, I obviously knowing the result and everything else, West Ham and Liverpool are two very different clubs on, on a number of levels. <laughs> and, you know, it's with with all reason, we felt very confident certainly after those first 10 minutes um, and even quite a bit longer than that. And then and then we didn't eventually. So, well, what's even more remarkable about those first couple of goals we scored is West Ham started off really strong. Like they had it nailed down in in our half of the the pitch for at least the first couple minutes like we didn't we weren't able to touch the ball at first and they started off with very intense pressure but then once we started scoring that opened it up and it was we had our run of the field for for a while um and i think it really ultimately came down to the penalty um situation kind of similar to with liverpool where like a penalty happens one way or another called on us or called on them and made the shot or didn't make the shot it seemed to like swing the momentum significantly and at least in the heads of the arsenal players like something seemed to change after that um yeah i but i i think i think west ham was was um I think West Ham was. How am I trying to say this? Um, I don't think the penalty quite turned the game around for them quite the same way. I think their penalty was a little bit against the run of play. They were definitely not afraid to pressure us high up the field again, uh, you know, much in the way Liverpool was doing, which we were clearly struggling with. And you know, I, I I think a lot of this, and I don't want to put blame on the guy; it's not his fault. But I think I think a, a certain extent we can blame a little bit of this on Rob holding. Uh, Not that he played Hmm. poorly. I actually thought he played fairly well, but he's a much more limited player relative to who he's replacing Saliba. And, you know, you can sort of see it. He's in there and Ben White isn't able to make quite as many runs uh, forward up the side in support of Saka. Gabriel has to do a little bit more. Saliba does an excellent job not just in dealing with players defensively, but distributing the ball up the field, especially through that pressure. And Holding just can't quite do the same thing. Again, I thought he played fine this game and Liverpool. But, you know, you're dealing sort of with his limitations as a player, and we have a little bit more trouble dealing with that pressure. Uh, and I think it puts a little bit more on other players like we've like Gabrielle, like Ben White. And and I think it's especially hurting as well. I've heard this mentioned that, you know, with Tomiyasu being out also, you know, ideally you would either use Tomiyasu as that backup center back, or maybe you would tuck Ben White back in as a center back like he played all last season and have Tomiyasu out in the right. But Tomiyasu is also hurt, so you can't do that. So, you know... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that I don't think that I think that's part of it. Um, you know, it's not the only thing going yeah. on. Again, we were we it's an interesting sort of philosophical conversation. What should we have done once we went up to nil? Um I, I I'm of the opinion, and certainly especially in the Liverpool game and also in this one, that we wanted to be more aggressive, we wanted to be on the front foot. But you know, in, in reading and listening to other analysis, you know, there's a benefit, and we we did this really well in the first half of the season, of really controlling the game and, and really sort of taking the air out of it, which is a really nice thing to do when you're on the road. Take the crowd out of it, take the air out of the ball, just sort of let the game settle in. And, you know, the problem is you put yourself in a place where a mistake can have a big impact, and that's kind of what we saw, uh, you know, particularly leading to to the penalty that gave gave West Ham their first goal. 
Yeah. You want to talk about that penalty for a minute? Uh, yeah. Um, again, I'll, I'll put it to you. Again, penalties are penalties are some of the most controversial decisions in the game. <laughs> so I will put it to you. What did you think of the penalty? I mean, I don't think there's any question that that was a foul occurring inside the penalty box. My my main question about it is, what the heck was Gabrielle thinking? <laughs> what was he trying to accomplish? I don't see how in his head his course of action results in anything other than a penalty. Um. Yeah, so I, the, the part that I was frustrated about as it happened was, to me, it definitely looks like Paketa is going down before contact. He's anticipating the contact and already going down, so it's a bit of a dive. Okay. Having said that, having said that I think you're right. Gabrielle going down was a mistake. And I saw that I, I recall seeing this a lot in previous years with a lot of Granite Xhaka's red cards. Some of them were sort of borderline red cards and there were we it develops this this meme among arsenal fans the uh if granite jaka did it sort of comparing his action to fouls that other players and other teams would commit um if mm. granite jaka did it it'd be a red um and, but but you, the thing is in most of those cases i think the reds could be partially justified at least on the position of you put yourself in a position where you let the referee make a decision and I think you can absolutely say that about what Gabrielle did. As you point out, kind of what, what exactly is he doing on the ground in that case? You put yourself in a place where the referee can make a call and you can only get so angry if he does. I don't like it, of course, because I'm an Arsenal fan. I don't want to see it. I do think Paqueta was, you know, was already going down uh, before there was contact. But at the same time, it's clumsy. It's ill-advised. You know, we've sort of talked about this defender. There are defenders who will tell you, I shouldn't be making tackles. If I make a tackle, I've already failed. Going to ground is a dangerous play. And dangerous, not in the sense you could hurt somebody, but dangerous in the sense of you lose control. And what happens then, you know, you could you could clatter into somebody for a foul. You could put yourself out of position. You know, a lot of things can go wrong when you go to ground. And in that case, I think that's what we got caught with. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, so... What in that situation, what should he or could he have done to mitigate that so he didn't need to act so desperately, I guess? Um, I think I think some of it was he was caught a little bit out of position. Uh, he's packetized some mm -hmm. space. He's trying to slide to get a little bit closer to the play. And I'd have to pull up the replay exactly to sort of see what had happened. I think some of it was we were just a little we were caught out. Uh, party gets dispossessed uh, by Declan Rice. There's a pretty good argument right. for a handball on Rice, but it wasn't given, you know, it, a, it could have been could have gone either way on that. Um, it isn't given. And so, you know, I think everyone's a little caught in transition. I think that's just one of those. He's caught in a bad place and he, he does what he thinks he can do. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, didn't. And it, and it cost. Yeah. Us. Yeah. So then the only other noteworthy moment for me before the end of the first half was so 49 minutes in. So this was during stoppage time in the first half. There was a yellow card against Antonio. And I guess I just missed what happened. What what happened there? I, I don't recall seeing that one either, actually. Um Okay. Yeah, I mean Antonio's, and and I say this as someone who, well, I, let me let me be careful. I phrase this. I hate Mikel Antonio because I hate playing against him. Um, he's he's a really okay. good player. He's very physical. He's very strong. He's a difficult player to deal with. Uh, not only with West Ham, he also plays for Jamaican's Jamaica's national team. Uh, so the U.S. will see him now and again in in Concacaf competitions. And he's again, he's a good player. Very fast. Very physical. Um, so I find him very annoying to play on. I would, I would very much enjoy being on a team where he is on, where he's playing for. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. he's a physical guy. That's an easy way to get your, you know, occasionally that might get you in trouble. And that might've been what happened there. I have to admit, I didn't quite see what he did okay. there as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I, I'm, I'm generally looking at like the two minute highlights, just to kind of remind myself of the very most important events. And yeah, something like that isn't going to go away go make it into yeah. that cut it would be in the extended highlights that would get spoiled for me on <laughs> NBC sports. It's those highlights that they, that would include <laughs> that probably. Um, so any other thoughts on the first half before we take a halftime break? Um, I thought overall we played well Their Their goal came against the run of play. Um, 
I do think the goal kind of made us a little nervous. It's it's such a hard thing to sort of judge, like the, I guess I'd say the the I don't want to say the character of the team, but sort of their their attitude. I mean, on the one hand, you could easily see them being nervous. In you know, there's the pressure of of City keeping pace with them and everything. Um, you know, they they were they started to get a little ragged. Uh, you know, Party was not having a particularly good game. He did not have a particularly good game. I thought Odegaard struggled at times. Um, I thought someone pointed this out where I was that uh, West Ham was definitely doing a very good job of handling us on the flanks. Every time Martinelli or Saka got the ball, there were a couple defenders around them and they were forcing us to go more through the middle, which you can tell that's not really what we want to do. We want Martinelli and Saka making runs down the wings. And so that that they were relatively effective. But again, we were up two one, you know, as fans, we were a little nervous, but you know, trying to judge through the TV from you know three thousand, three you know three four or five thousand miles away, how is the team really feeling? That was a little bit harder to gather at that point. But I wasn't because of the Liverpool result. I was feeling a little more nervous than I might otherwise have, especially earlier in the season. But again, we were up, so that's mm-hmm. yeah, that that's what you want, right? Yeah, it's effective for them, and ultimately, so. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this week uh, began an earnest uh, sports season for my youngster. So we had lacrosse practice, his very first ever lacrosse practice on Wednesday last week. And then on Saturday, his first soccer practice slash scrimmage of the season. And then today, uh, this is Monday, April 17th, as we're recording, uh, he had his first baseball practice with our next, our first baseball game coming uh, on the weekend. We have soccer and baseball games happening on the same day now for the spring. <laughs> so morning soccer and afternoon baseball, that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, one thing that gets challenging for me as a coach running around with all these little kids, um, it, it gets really tough staying hydrated. I bring a water bottle and it just doesn't do it for me most of the time. And I end up compensating in in bad ways later on throughout the day um what would really help the situation is a product called liquid iv uh so thanks to them for sponsoring this episode um liquid iv is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine in just one stick you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down after a long night out and on long flights so I actually just this week ordered uh, my first case of the hydration multiplier. So I'll be able to report back uh, next week. It should be coming any day now uh, and tell you how much it's uh, affected my my post-practice uh, sports life. But uh, for now, I can tell you that I ordered the strawberry lemonade flavor, which sounded really awesome. And I can't wait to try that. And uh Just to remind you guys, so one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. There are 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, a bunch of Bs and a C. With three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, it is made with premium ingredients, non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. So, get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code GOONER at checkout. That's G-O-O-N-E-R. There is no U in GOONER. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GOONER at liquidiv.com. And if you have trouble remembering that, there is a link in the show notes. Just uh, click the link, and then when you check out, enter code GOONER at checkout for 20% off. Thanks again to Liquid IV for sponsoring this episode of Gooner U. So the second half, <laughs> we kind of picked up where we left off. Um, we again started off, uh, started off with a decent amount of pressure. Um, things were going pretty well. We were kind of controlling the game again. And then we got a penalty. And this time in our favor. <laughs> yes. As I understand, you are, you are not as enamored with this call as I understand it. I mean, I'm I'm happy to get a penalty called in our favor. I feel like the criteria for handball, it's like 
I get, I get it. And I, I get that if he were following his training, he would have had his arms at his sides or in front or behind him. Like you see everybody else doing when they're in the penalty box. I, I get that. Um, but it's just kind of funny when it's, you can tell it's not like he's not reaching to try and grab the ball or deflect the ball. Like he, he was just balancing himself in an awkward position. So yeah, his arm was way out there and what nobody would ever call a natural position. It clearly wasn't natural, but he wasn't trying to hit the ball. It was just Martinelli kicked it and it happened to be that his arm was in the way. So yeah, Hey, I'll take it. And I desperately wish that <laughs> we had sunk the penalty and maybe we wouldn't even be caring anymore about it. But yeah, it was, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is, a, there is an old, I mean, the problem there is, and I, and I do understand that, you know, the concern about, you know, trying to judge natural or non-natural position, uh, it, the, the, the way the rule used to be involved, the notion of intent, um, mm-hmm. and trying to judge intent at that speed in those circumstances is nearly impossible. So that this is meant to try and give, try and make something that's a little more cut and dry, which obviously you can only do so much of, but yeah, the, the, I mean, it's one of those that if it had called the other way, I would have been unhappy, obviously. But at the same time, yeah, his his arms out from his body. It, it, the ball, if the ball hits you there, that is a penalty, and that's a penalty mm-hmm. every, every right. day. And I would have been, frankly, more furious had they not called it. Aside from my vested interest in what was happening, <laughs> uh, but certainly the fact that it was called, I think um, I, it, it needed to be uh, so. Well, yeah, I mean, and I guess if you were trying to judge intent with video assistance, because I I don't think you would have necessarily noticed this in the moment, but his head was turned away from the ball. (laughs) Like, If you're trying to judge intent, you have a pretty strong case for judging that there was no intent there. And again, not to defend them or anything. I'm I'm happy that we got a penalty called in our favor. And I, I do believe that they're following the rule. I don't think that it was an erroneous call. It's just a matter of, again, with a lot of his stuff, I'm kind of going to first principles and trying to decide, do I agree with the rule when I see the effects that it has? Like, what is the rule trying to accomplish? That's kind of the angle that I'm coming at it from. And yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's kind of a technicality is the way it works out to be. But yeah, he should have had his arms at his side. Then you avoid it, you know. Yep. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. And, it's, and you know, we could argue it's not, it's not a technicality. I mean, it is the rule. And that's that's just kind of, the, yeah, it's a tough position for the defender. Because you're right. What are you supposed to do with your arms in those cases? We understand the need for balance. But, mm-hmm. I mean, these are also the competitive nature of players is such that I, you'd probably be shocked at the number of things they would try to do that look and i'm doing air quotes here that look <laughs> legitimate within the rules but I, uh-huh. you know if you ask them uh-huh. about it going oh yeah i meant to do that that was i was trying to do that uh, it, it, you'd be surprised i think I, it, it is kind of incredible actually right. yeah just fly casual right exactly <laughs> so so yeah so you know it, it got called i kind of groaned like oh, okay yeah i guess i'll take it and I anxiously watched as Saka made his approach. And from the angle that the telecast showed, there was probably a good half second where it looked like it had gone in before you see, oh, no, no, it continued beyond the back of the goal. Oh, no, it went wide. Uh, the depth perception uh, problem. I have to say, soccer is the only <laughs> sport I, I seem to have this issue with. And a lot of people have this, too, where... You sometimes lose the depth perception, and it's sometimes hard to tell where the ball is going. I mean, I watch a lot of other sports. I, I never have that same issue. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah. Well, if, he if missed... I may make a guess. So it seems to me that soccer matches, and I'm not criticizing this. I think that it is warranted. I can't think of a better way to do it. But it seems like soccer matches keep a very wide angle on the action most of the time. Like you can generally see all the way from sideline to sideline or touchline to touchline, right? Um, Because it's a big field with a lot happening and action that affects the play can come from a wide variety of positions, right? And I feel like just because of the size of the pitch, which is probably similar to a football pitch or football field, football field versus football pitch. Uh, (laughs) I think the size is similar, but I think just the action, it's like 
the ball is in a more defined set of places in like American football. And I think if you're comparing to basketball or hockey, it's a much smaller area that you're trying to cover. And I think as soon as you're at less of a wide angle, the depth perception is aided by the lens of the camera where things that are closer or further look bigger or smaller. Whereas it all kind of looks the same. Like you can, the size of the ball at the right edge of the net or the left edge looks pretty much the same. Yeah, I could see. I could see that. I think the angles there. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, as someone who also watches a lot of hockey games, you know, part of it is there's no expectation you're going to see the puck, <laughs> so you always have to judge what's happening based <laughs> on the movement of the players. I actually, it's funny. I had that conversation uh, with with some students uh, a couple weeks ago. We were watching. We, we were watching. Uh, you know, it, it was the Miracle on Ice, so it was a historical hockey event and and look watching the clip you know they're one of them because these are a lot of these in texas are kids of course who have grown up watching or playing soccer and never seen a hockey game before and you know he's like Mm -hmm. i'm trying to watch the puck and i told him it's just like soccer you don't watch the puck you watch everybody moving around the puck you don't watch the ball you watch everybody moving around the ball but uh um fun digression on the that's true you're i know you're you have a you have camera experience so yeah it's a a good digression in terms of of angles viewing angles and whatnot um, but yeah, yes, but... whatever the angle, every, every angle suck a mist, which was very sad. <laughs> it was, and I feel bad for him knowing his, his recent history. Well, sort of semi-recent history with, with penalty kicks and, you know, how much of it is like shooting the penalty in a, a stadium where you're visiting instead of your home stadium? Like if you had to guess into what factors, led to this like what what do you come up with i think it really just comes down to um and, and this was arteta's comment post game said players who take penalties miss them you know mo Salah last week with liverpool who is an excellent one of the leading goal scorers of the last few leagues in the league years in the league has, has scored a number of penalties over the years to liverpool he just whiffed you know you take enough shots and you're going to do that i don't think there's anything about the stadium. I mean, may, maybe something with the pressure of the moment. I don't know, maybe. But I think really in the end, he just he just missed because sometimes you miss. And obviously, it feels a little worse because of wanting the goal in that circumstance. But then also, as, as we know, two minutes later, giving up the other goal, uh, giving up the, mm-hmm. what ends up being the equalizer, it, you know, obviously that makes it feel a little more you know what's happening mm-hmm. but i i don't think there's anything <laughs> like i don't think there's anything that he did like obviously he made some technical errors which is why he missed but i don't think it's a case of like oh well if he had just done x you know like he's mm-hmm. always done it would you know i think that's just a i think it's just a miss i think it just happens yeah i wonder sometimes it seems like the misses that i've noticed seem to happen when the keeper guesses right and is diving in the direction that they end up kicking the ball. And it's like a last second adjustment so that they're trying to get around the way that they see the keeper already moving. And because they're adjusting at the last minute, it's just off. It's not as precise as what they'd planned on doing beforehand, maybe. It's the last minute adjustment nature of it that changes it, maybe. It's possible. Um, it's always hard to read, especially how quickly so many of those things happen mm-hmm. and how quickly those things sort of take place. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, that's why you see a lot of keepers do that. They dance along the lines. Uh, there, some of them do this uh, kind of weird bendy legs thing, which I couldn't possibly describe mm-hmm. for you, except to say if you saw it, you'd know exactly what it is you're looking <laughs> at. Um, but, but yeah, I think I think it's he just missed. I think that's just all it is. Yeah. And like you said, two minutes later, man, that that goal that Bowen made after the the Saka miss, that was crazy. So so Ramsdale clears the ball. I think it was Ramsdale. Someone on the defensive line cleared the ball like in a big arcing pass, like over everyone's heads. It then gets intercepted by, I I forget which player from West Ham, but it gets intercepted by another West Ham player who then arcs it 
in a mirror image motion is like right back where it came from and Bowen is there to get it and his kick like there's nothing Ramsdale could have done the way that the ball was just like bouncing into the goal was like and how fast it was moving was like impossible to predict it was it was a very well executed goal but just seems improbable it was just it was strange the way that that happened yeah I think that's um yeah I think I think that's just um yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, Ramsdale will really feel for that, especially having made so many big saves uh, later. You know, so made so many big saves late in the Liverpool game, and he'll want that one back. He gets a hand to it, which I thought he did a pretty good job to. It just couldn't quite enough on, get enough on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's frustrating, uh, but at the same time, a lot of that is also just they the you know, they, they were. They were on the back foot a little bit. Uh, you know, West Ham put on the pressure. They were able to get a man in behind the defense, and it cost us. Yeah. So, uh, so who's your pick for player of the match? Whew, that is that is a tough one. I got to be honest because I thought you know you could point to some moments early in the game, but I think a lot of players you can point to some moments where they did some some poor things. Um, you know, I, Ramsdale didn't have to make quite any of the huge saves they did against Liverpool, and so conceding two goals, it's hard right. to get excited about that. I thought um, you know Gabriel, of course, gives up the penalty. Um, we talked sort of about holding already. I you know I. I yeah, Kieran Tierney, unfortunately, we didn't talk about this in the lineup. You know, Zinchenko was out with a late injury, so Tierney came in. I thought he played okay, but they're so used to doing what what, what Zinchenko does, and Tierney just can't do that. Um, I thought Gabriel Jesus played pretty well overall. He was his usual self. I thought Odegaard had some decent moments, but also some poor moments. I thought Thomas Partey had a pretty rough game with a yellow card and, of course, the giveaway. Um Boy, I I don't know. I guess I guess if I had to pick one, um, I think you could make a case for Martinelli. It's hard to pick Saka after the miss. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's it, this this game so much more than the Liverpool one. Liverpool one had a sense of like survival, like we got away with one. This one feels much more like the feeling is is a much more is much more depressive, so to speak. I guess afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess probably I'd say I, I mean I I guess honestly I'd probably give give it to Jesus. He got a goal. I thought he played decently. You know he played pretty well overall when he was on. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know you saw him all over the field. You saw a lot of movement around. Like at some points Jesus was dropping back into the defense, which it's not really where you were where you want a forward to be playing. Sometimes it's the he feels the necessity of being there. Um. There was someone else I saw. I think it was I think it was Odegaard I saw was playing a lot higher up. You can see the a lot more movement. Tyranny's trying to play the Zinchenko position where he goes more to the middle of the field. It was it was a bit awkward to watch them do it. Um I guess probably mm. I'd say Jesus as as man of the match, but I'm not uh, I'm not in love with that selection, I admit it. What about you? What did you see? <laughs> well, so I'm not yet at the stage where I'm really paying too much attention to what's going on away from the ball yet. <laughs> <laughs> From that perspective, let me let me ask you. You had mentioned um, one of the reasons you didn't pick Odegaard, who I'm leaning towards, was some of the moments that he didn't play as well. Can you can you think of what any of those were? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but yeah, I I just thought his passing wasn't as crisp as usual. I thought as a player directing hmm. the offense. I mean, I we I, part of it is just relatively speaking, we've seen a lot of really good games he's had where he's in control of what's happening. I didn't get that same sense. And part of that, I think, is also just what of sort of what was demanded from him in the sense that, as we talked about, so much of the game was going to go through the middle of the field because they were taking away the wings, you know, not getting as much out of, mm-hmm. not being able, I should say, to get as much out of Martinelli or Saka. If the game's going to go through the middle, it has to go through Odegaard, and he needs to be, I think, a little more assertive overall. I thought some of his passes... I thought early on, you know, especially as we talked about taking the air out of the ball uh, after the second goal, I thought we were crisp. We were moving the ball. Players were confident. They were, you know, making some some fun dribbles and fun plays. But I think once they started to lose that a little bit, they they didn't seem to get it back. And I think Odegaard was, I think Odegaard was was sort of, I don't want to say guilty of it, like he did something wrong, but was mm-hmm. one of those players that was also starting to lose his his possession and sort of lose his his forward is sort of that forward momentum a bit. And again. Given the position he plays, the fact he's also the captain, you know, part of that's, I think, mm-hmm. the standard he's being measured against. And you kind of need a little bit more from <laughs> from your captain, central midfielder like that. 
Right. Well, given all that, and I, I appreciate your analysis on that, I didn't notice any of those things. <laughs> so I'm still going to go with Odegaard. The reasons being, uh, he directly contributed to both of the goals that we did score. Um, he was like a secondary assist on the first. He passed to Ben White, who then passed to Jesus, who got it in. And then um, Martinelli assisted Odegaard in the second goal, which I thought was a really clever goal. He like used the side of his foot to knock it in from like kind of sideways. It was it was an, an untraditional uh, posture he was in, and he he worked with it and got it in. So so that that's what I'll say. Um, I'm glad that the listeners have your <laughs> your observations to to caveat that that nomination. But that, that's who I pick. Um, one small question I'd noticed towards the beginning, they showed an even wider shot that really showed a lot of the sidelines and the, the dugout area for, for the benches. Um, it said next to the stadium, London football Academy. Um, and I know that this is London stadium where, where West Ham plays. You'd mentioned that that was their Olympic stadium from when London hosted the Olympics. Um, do you know what the London Football Academy is? Is that a West Ham thing or is that a London thing that just uses West Ham's field or is it just an advertisement that has nothing to do with the stadium? I, as far as I can tell, it is just an advertisement. A, my Google searching gives me the London Football Academy, which is actually located in North London of all places. It's actually much closer to the Emirates and, it is, and, and to Tottenham <laughs> than it is to West Ham. I th- it looks like it's just a, a youth academy. It's for, it's for club. It's for kids. Um, and they run camps and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I suspect it's for, for kids who, um, it, the way that there's something in there about worried about childhood obesity. So I suspect it's more of a camp for kids who want to do this recreationally and just have fun, uh, which, you know, it, because of the importance that, that soccer has or, or football has in England, they don't have the kind of youth leagues or the rec leagues that we have in the United States where we just have tons and tons of these rec leagues. Typically, you're either playing in a formal academy setting or you're essentially playing a pickup game, sort of like almost like basketball. Mm. Um, and so I think this is an op- a chance or a, a um, an effort on their part to uh, – on the part of this uh, whoever's running it to you know have an option for kids. Uh, but again, that was my 30-second perusal of their website, so I could be entirely wrong about that. Right. I think it was just an advertisement, though. It just happened to be there. Right. Um, That's interesting, though. What you mentioned about the difference in how youth soccer is treated in each country, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that. I wonder if that contributes to a higher level of play on their part, that either you're like, if you're really into it, you're going to be getting basically professional instruction versus, you know, Coaches like me doing the best that we can, but we know we're, we're not experts. We're volunteers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that contributes to the higher level of play that you do see in the Premier League. Ultimately, um, yeah, yeah. I, a lot of that stems from, and we've sort of talked about this. That all every club, or just about every club, has an academy. Like they're they are clubs. They're founded as as these organizations that have teams at various levels and you know obviously nowadays women's teams as well and they're all part of this larger overarching group they aren't franchises the way we would think of say the new york yankees or the houston rockets you know in 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 american sports so they're bringing kids in and sort of looking at their talent and and cultivating them from a very young age, I mean, some of the some of Arsenal's players, Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith Rowe, Fuller and Balogun, um, Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson. Some of these these guys were have been at Arsenal since they were, in some cases pre preteens. Um, they've been they've mm-hmm. been with the club for a long time, and so yeah, you you don't have and, and you know just because you don't have that at quite as many as many teams in the United States, a lot of the MLS clubs have academies. Um, but because oh, okay. they're so spread out, I mean, your your son, you know, because I know you live in New York, would be um, is in the territory belong quote unquote belonging to uh, the two teams in New York, New York City and uh, the New York Red Bulls. And so, if he were to be part of their academy, he essentially you'd be taking him down to uh, Red Bulls are in in New Jersey and in, in Harrison and Newark and in New York City he plays in I think in Orange County. Or, or in Westchester, just outside the city. Um, I mean, the, you know, the, for for you, Tyler Adams from from Wappingers, right. drove drove down every day to, uh, to 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 Red Bulls to play with their their hmm. academy teams and their youth teams until he made the first team, uh, made his debut. I think he was eighteen when he debuted right. with them. So yeah, that's it, you know, just the distance is a very different thing. Um, 
as opposed to that makes you know, sense, yeah, yeah, as opposed to in, in England where clubs can basically recruit from anywhere. But you know, you, I mean, especially if you're in London, there are kids everywhere. Um, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. getting so many people, so it's easy to draw a lot from. As opposed to a smaller club in a smaller town or even a, city, a smaller city, you know, take Leeds for example. Leeds United is the only team in Leeds, and so any kid in Leeds is is going to start in the Leeds academy. Um, where however many spots they've got for him. Right. Yeah, that that uh that makes sense. Yeah, I could see where yeah, just the the how spread out the country is. Yeah, that ultimately for it to be effective with that model, we just need to have so many more clubs in the MLS basically, which already the MLS is bigger than the Premier League by by quite a bit. So Right, but remember in England it isn't the Premier League. It's every level of the table. So it's, it's the Premier League, right. it's Championship, it's League One. Even the even some of those smaller teams, even though some of those semi-pro teams, they don't have academies per se, but they will have opportunities for youth players. And if you're any good, and this is true, by the way, you know, for, for as a coach, as you're dealing with parents, if your kid is really any talented, somebody has seen him. Somebody has scouted him. Somebody has seen him. And, you know, if he's playing, in your case, with, you know, uh, Rhinebeck Youth League, um, mm-hmm. if he's playing at that level, if he's actually good enough, someone has seen him, there are tryout opportunities. If the highest level he ends up playing is, is, you know, the Rhinebeck youth league, he ain't going pro. Um, hope mm-hmm. he runs around, has a great time, you know, makes friends and all the things you want <laughs> out of organized sports. But yeah, if you're, I mean, right. at that, at that point, those kids that have that talent are discovered, they're, they're discovered, uh, they're seen. Um, are there some that slip through the cracks always? Um, but then again, you know, the, the mental dedication it takes to play at that level. I mean, a lot of kids, a lot of people just don't have it. There are other things in their life that interest them more. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I love, I love, I enjoyed rec league soccer and, you know, playing it and, you know, I enjoy watching the sport still, but I, I have actual talent in in other areas, which is one of the many (laughs) reasons, uh, you know, I would, I, I, the highest I ever played was rec league. Um, yeah. So, uh, before, before we move on to discussing next week, um, I heard that there was some schedule reshuffling that happened. Uh, do you care to talk about that? Yes. So initially, on uh, we, Arsenal was scheduled to play Chelsea on next Saturday, April 29th. Uh, due to the uh, some requests from the London Metropolitan Police, uh, that game has now been moved to May 2nd, which is a Tuesday. Um. The request comes from it's surrounding the fact that uh, Arsenal have several big games at the Emirates around that time. They have the final of the FA Youth Cup where we're going to play West Ham of all teams. And then also the Arsenal women are going to play uh, in the semifinals of the Champions League. Uh, their home leg, I forget who they're playing. Maybe I think it's Wolfsburg, a German team. I, maybe it's not. I don't remember. Uh, but those big games combined with the fact you're also dealing right around the time of the coronation. So Charles is actually going to be coronated mm-hmm. sometime in, I think it's sometime in May. So all those things combined that the, the Metropolitan Police ask to reschedule uh, the game. And so it has been moved. Now, there's a plus and minus to this from perfect from a purely Arsenal perspective. The positive is that game on the 29th is originally scheduled on a Saturday after we were playing Manchester City on Wednesday. Now, you know, Chelsea is a mess right now. They are, they are, they, they are, they have just almost fallen completely apart. Uh, I just, they, they're a complete mess, but it is an emotional game with a lot of stakes and they do have a lot of talent. And that would have been a very difficult game to play. Even at home would have been a very difficult game coming off of emotionally, whatever happens in Manchester. I mean, that's going to be, of course, next, you know, next Wednesday is going to be a massive game emotionally. And there's just a lot, um, it's going to be a lot. That's going to be a lot. So to have the extra time is going to be nice. The downside to that from an Arsenal scheduling perspective is, of course, that that means they're playing on a Tuesday and then they play on Saturday. Uh, our our other big remaining uh, game oh, away at Newcastle. I'm sorry, it's on Sunday, which you now have uh, four days between that game as opposed to the full week you would have had if we had played Chelsea on Saturday. So it's a tough stretch of the season. However, you look at it, City, Chelsea, Newcastle. Um, but you know, it, it gets a, just a little bit weirder, uh, with that shuffling around. And then there's the other side, you know, we've talked about schedules change. This is a really difficult thing for fans who bought tickets, 
uh, to, to, to this game, brought it for a Saturday. It's been on the schedule for Saturday for a long time and to be changed two weeks notice. Uh, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I know, I, you know, there are people, especially, yeah. you know, because of the global reach of the club. I mean, you can imagine, say you and I scheduled a trip to go to London to go see, go see Arsenal to get tickets for Chelsea, which are going to be very expensive tickets. Um, Arsenal's <laughs> being in London, being where they are, the prominence of the club and all of that. And then, of course, being at the top of the table, I think are one of, if not the most expensive tickets in in the game. And, of course, they're playing Chelsea, which is a massive rivalry. And then to discover that your game that you paid all this money for is actually now going to be, instead of on Saturday, it's going to be the following Wednesday. That's tough. Yeah. So... um you know, kind of a disappointing decision to make. Obviously, it has less an impact on us because, you know, we are... Obviously, we just watch them from afar, and they could, frankly, be playing on the moon for all we're aware of. But, uh, you know, it, I get I get the, the difficulty from the supporter's perspective or the game, the match-going fan's perspective. Sure. Well, on that note, why don't you tell us what's coming up next week? All right. Uh, next week, just one game. It is on Friday, so uh, Friday afternoon. You know, if you want to knock off work a little early, um, <laughs> uh, we're back. We're back at home, which I think will be a big boost for us against Southampton. On the one hand, Southampton is a team that's given us some problems over the years, including this season. Uh, they've been kind of a pain to deal with. On the other side, we're at home, and Southampton is in dead last. So hopefully, this is a game bounce back, get some positive momentum because the following week uh, that fo- you know we'll play them on Friday. The following Wednesday is when we get City. So uh, it's good. Mm-hmm. it's about to get really interesting really quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it though. Want to see what happens? So. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan to download a raw, unedited recording right away, as well as occasional bonus content. This week, we will be discussing History of the World Part 2. There's a link in the show notes to join if you're interested. Thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid IV. You can find them at liquidiv.com and enter code GOONER to save 20% at checkout. That's G-O-O-N-E-R. There is no U in GOONER. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, Arsenal. <laughs>